You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. We live. And this is Locked On Hornets, your daily podcast on the Charlotte Hornets and the NBA. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Search your podcast app for Locked On to get podcasts on the NBA, the NFL, and fantasy sports. Follow us on Twitter at Locked On Hornets, Facebook.com forward slash Locked On Hornets, and Instagram at Locked On Hornets. We are coming to you live from the Gittimer.com studios in BEA, beautiful Uptown Charlotte, on this MLK Junior Monday. I'm Doug Branson. I cover the Charlotte Hornets for FanRagSports.com, and I'm joined by a full panel first uh, from this show, produces this show, Claire James. What's going on, Claire? Oh, not much. Let me unmute your mic. And then I have a new new friend. Yeah, what's that? I have a new friend. I've been dog sitting all weekend, so that's always fun. Always fun. Claire, welcome in. You just popped in right at the end, so we're we're happy to have you. I was trying to surprise you. From the capital city, we also have Nick Denning. He edits for AtTheHive.com. He also writes for us at LockedOnHornets.com. What's going on, Nick? You know, excited for this afternoon session of hoops. Absolutely. And we have, uh, I don't know if we have David yet. He stepped away. Is David there? David, are you there? All right. Well, we'll (laughs) we'll hear from David Walker momentarily. Uh, Thanks to our sponsor for this episode, Frame Warehouse. We've got a big show. This is one of our bigger ones. So we got a lot to talk about. I don't want to waste too much time. First, we have to recap what's going on. Uh, what went on for the Charlotte Hornets over the weekend. The Hornets win one, they lose one. Charlotte survives 35 points from rookie Donovan Mitchell to get a 99-88 win over the Utah Jazz. Did you guys know that the Hornets could have taken Donovan Mitchell in the NBA draft? I don't know if you guys knew that. Is that... I heard that. Yeah, yeah. I think I think a, a lot of fans uh, let me know that on Twitter as well. Uh, then on Saturday, early tip, rested Thunder team desperately needing a victory that spelled bad news for the Hornets. They lose to the Thunder 101-91. to Really lost that one in the fourth quarter. The Hornets now sit at 16-25, and 11th in the East, five and a half games out of the playoffs. They play this afternoon in Detroit. We'll start with Nick. Your quick thoughts on the weekend of action in Hornets basketball. Kind of a, you know, like I think really just came down to the fourth quarter in both of these games. Uh, against Utah, they managed to... Um, actually get a lead and build on it. Um, and against Oklahoma City, they had a lead going to the fourth as well, but um, the Thunder's bench played a little bit better, uh, took the lead, and then um, Russ and his uh, and that crew took over when they came back in. So tale of you know where we've seen the Hornets play well in the fourth and an example of where they you know continue to struggle. And, and that points again to consistency, something we've seen uh, uh, be a problem for this Hornets team all season, one game to another. You don't necessarily know what Hornets team you're going to get, although uh, they did seem to think that that fourth quarter against Oklahoma City had a lot to do with fatigue, having to play that back-to-back. Oklahoma City again coming in rested. Uh, and, and unfortunately, when your record is what it is, those kind of uh, I don't. I don't know if excuses or or uh, justifications uh, they don't matter, right? They, they, you know, you you have to win those t- type of basketball games when you do have a lead going into the fourth quarter. Claire, your thoughts on the weekend of Hornets basketball? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even when you do have a back-to-back, you know, schedule, back-to-back games, you really still do have to perform and you have to live up to the expectations that you would, uh, whether or not you do have back-to-back. So, you know, at the, while, yeah, Thunder is coming in rested and whatnot, you're right. You gotta, you really gotta show up for every single game. And I thought rebounding was, um, kind of the the theme of this weekend because we Mm. did it really well on Friday and not so well on Saturday. So um, it'll be interesting to see what happens against Detroit. That's a great point. Yeah, I mean, that was something they knew they had to do well against Oklahoma City and they allow 19 offensive rebounds in this game. I I think if if you take a look at that game, yes, I think there definitely was some fatigue in the fourth quarter. I buy that justification, but what I don't buy is allowing them 19 offensive rebounds because I think if they had not done that, if they had protected the boards a little better, then you go into that fourth quarter with maybe a double-digit lead because they shot better than Oklahoma City. Uh, Paul George got off to a really hot start, but they tended to limit him in the in the third quarter. And uh, they got kind of an inefficient game from Russell Westbrook as well. So the opportunities were there for the Charlotte Hornets. And had they, I think you're right, had they done a better job on the boards, they would have had a better shot. I think I also saw a Hornets team that has figured out a way to play defense, but still hasn't figured out a way to play offense yet. It's getting there and you can see some minor improvements, but moving the basketball just gets very difficult for this team too often and it's a first unit issue and a second unit issue honestly in terms of moving the basketball it's become more of an issue with the starting unit than it has uh, with the second unit that seems to have found a groove a little two-man game between Jeremy Lamb and Frank Kaminsky with Travion Graham being the third option they seem to have found a groove where the where the first unit has hasn't yet Um, you know look I'm I'm not yet equipped to see all of the small nuances that coaches can. But even when I watch this offense, there are times when I look at it and go, what what is happening right now? It, it, the, the groove just isn't there. So I, I can't imagine what, what those coaches are seeing. Um, but I think they're slowly finding a way to play, and they might yet start playing really well. But I think at this point, it might be a little too late to put themselves into position to be in the playoffs, but there are a lot of games left. I mean, there there could be a run left in this team, but they're going to have to find a way uh, to play better offense right now, ranked 23rd in the league. If they can't keep up the aggressiveness that they show from game in and game out, then yeah, I agree with you. But I mean, you know, we saw them be aggressive against Golden State and then not at all against the Clippers. And then, you know, they picked it up and were aggressive against the Kings and the Lakers. And, you know, so it really, you've got to keep the aggressiveness consistent. You've got to keep the rebound consistent. And the main thing with Oklahoma City, yeah, we fell behind because we were letting up too many second choice, second uh, chance points mm-hmm. where they were getting just an incredible amount, of, especially Stephen Adams was getting an incredible amount of offensive rebounds. And that's a huge issue. If you give up that many offensive rebounds and you're putting yourself in a huge hole to, you know, try and win the game. Absolutely. Uh, consistency, efforts, uh, d- uh, the ability to move product, That's all. those are all words that the, the Hornets need to take heed of. It's also There are also words that can be used to describe our sponsor for this episode, Frame Warehouse, whether it's a gift, a treasured heirloom, a home decoration, or something for your bonus room. 
Now is the time to get your framing done, and you have to get that framing done with our sponsor, Frame Warehouse, because they do it right. We're proud to partner up with Frame Warehouse because they've been family-owned right here in the heart of Charlotte for over 35 years. They have the guaranteed best price on every framing project. At Frame Warehouse, you can frame almost anything for next to nothing. If you can think of it, you can get it framed. We're talking about sports memorabilia, posters for your office, maybe your kid's bedroom, even a jersey. They fill, they uh, frame two of my jerseys that I have up on the wall in my home studio. The best part is that Frame Warehouse makes the whole process super easy. And I don't know about you guys, but I need easy. Frame Warehouse has framing experts that will walk you through the process and turn your project around quickly and for an amazing price. Don't let your prized possessions go undisplayed. Talk to our friends at Frame Warehouse at one of their six locations in Charlotte. Go to framewarehouse.net. Framewarehouse.net to find the one nearest you and tell them Locked On Hornets sent you and give them a go Hornets, go America, let's swarm Charlotte. You are listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast. David, the show's barely been on. How are these injuries going to affect the Hornets' ability to beat the Miami Heat? I'm going to go get some more buttermilk while you talk about it. (laughs) Get more Hornets analysis on LockedOnHornets.com. All right, welcome into the Nest, the live chat here on YouTube.com forward slash Locked On Hornets. we got Double M15, Alex, Amber, Quote, Barry Blaster. They're all in here. What up, Nest? What's going on? Let us know your thoughts. We're going to talk about Steve Clifford's impending return on Wednesday, January 17th. It's coming up. We're also going to talk about some interesting comments from Nick Batum. Doesn't feel like he has been fully involved enough in the offense, and I know you've got thoughts on that. Some of you have already let me know on Twitter what you think about those comments that that we uh, released there after Friday's game against the Utah Jazz. So uh, let us know what you think here on youtube.com forward slash locked on Hornets or on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash locked on Hornets as well. The Hornets got some good news late last week. Head coach Steve Clifford will return to the sidelines on Wednesday to coach the Wizards. He left the team in early December due to severe headaches rooted in a lack of sleep caused by the way he did his job, according to Clifford. He's been dealing with the headaches for several years now, but they became so overwhelming that he said it made him scared for his health, and he decided to step aside to address them. He spoke to the media and thanked the organization, Michael Jordan, the team doctors, for their understanding, their patience, and help through a a very difficult time uh, for Coach Clifford. He also spoke on Coach Silas, who has stepped in in his absence. He said that Silas is ready for an NBA head coaching job right now and that this experience has given him a better understanding of the very real differences in being an assistant versus being the head coach. This league is about being able to get a group of guys who are accomplished players with a ton of money to play in a way that you can play well every night. And you don't realize until, you know, it's easy to go in there and say, hey, we're, geez, we're 11th in defense, 21st in offense. But, you know, you have to find a way to get that to 5th and to 12th. Mm -hmm. There's the relationship you have to have with the group, and then there's the relationship that you have to have with individual players to get them to agree to try to make those adjustments. The hardest thing to have to not lose the group is credibility. You can lose an NBA team in two games. Mm-hmm. Have some bad timeouts, have the other team running plays that you don't know how to make an adjustment to. And listen, I've seen that. Mm-hmm. It's over. They're not going to trust you anymore, okay? Mm-hmm. And I think that he understands all that. Um, 
and he has knowledge and he has a great way with people. Um, but credibility is everything. And I think he knew that going in, but I think he understands it even more so now. So interesting comments there from Steve Clifford, who was an assistant for more than a decade before becoming an NBA head coach. And he's giving you sort of that insider look at at what it's like to be an NBA head coach and the difficulties that come along with that, the challenges that Steven Silas faced stepping in for Steve Clifford, basically having to establish his his own credibility with, with the group and with individual players. That's I think that's that's something that was very interesting to me, that yes, you have to build those. You think, yeah, you have to build relationships with individual players, but you also have to have that group buy-in. And it's something that I, I think we've talked about on this show, that it you know Steven Silas held this thing together, that it could have easily been a situation where uh, the Hornets completely bottomed out. But the fact that they are still even in contention for a playoff spot after losing their head coach for more than a month, I think speaks uh, to the to the job that Silas has done. Yeah, I think the way that he's been able to hold on and keep everything together, because think about the situation that he was put in. It's not something that anyone expects to be in. I mean, Clifford mentioned he's been in two other situations where the head coach had to step away, I guess, abruptly. But that's not something you plan for. And I think uh, when people were judging Silas throughout this whole thing, that was something important to keep in mind. This was not foreseen. This kind of came out of the blue, even though apparently Clifford had been dealing with this stuff for quite some time. I mean, when he left right there at the end, uh, it was a shock to everyone. So for Silas to step in and kind of keep things going, and for them, like you said, the fact that they're five and a half games out right now and they haven't had Clifford for over a month is pretty amazing. It's also kind of like this is an Eastern Conference every year, right? Like we're like yeah. we, they can be nine games under five hundred and they're five and a half out of. But no, but I, I do, I do, yeah. This is we, we talked about this like a couple of weeks ago. They could the things could have easily fallen apart. We could have started to notice comments right from players. Um, we haven't seen that, and the guys still seem to be playing for each other out there, playing for the coaching staff. You know, so that's you know the problems don't seem to be stemming from whether they trust the staff or not. It just, you know, there's just other things that they have to figure out for this to get um, going in the right direction. Well, we haven't seen them until recently. And that's actually uh, what I'd like to talk about next. Nick Batum, uh, we, he struggled this season. Mm-hmm. It's been his worst season of the three that he's been in Charlotte. That's that's pretty much fact. I mean, you can, you can look at all the statistics. They'll tell you that, that they're more reminiscent of his last season in Portland. That was an injury-riddled season for him. He dealt with a wrist injury that basically led to him being traded uh, to the Charlotte Hornets for relatively nothing. Uh, at, at first, this going back to this season, though, at first we thought it was the elbow injury uh, that, that kept him out of the preseason. We thought he came back too early. We tried to explain it because I, I think fans and all of us here hoped that it would change. Uh, but then everyone stopped talking about the injury, and Batum continued to struggle. And on Thursday's show last week, I criticized Nick Batum pretty harshly. Uh, it was off of two games where he scored four points on two of eight shooting. He only had one assist in that game against Dallas. Seemed to not really be involved at all on either end. Was struggling defensively as well, uh, helping uh, Kimba Walker guard Yogi Ferrell. I said it wasn't good enough. A- and I said that because up until Friday, I really had no explanation as I'd heard no good explanation as to what what was going on there 
Um, this this weekend in both games, he was getting early looks for himself and for others. The offense seemed to be moving through him early in the game. And after the game against the Jazz, Steven Silas mentioned that Batum's performance, he mentioned that performance and said they've been talking a lot about his role in games. I asked Batum on Friday about Silas's comments. This was after the Jazz game. Here's what he had to say on that. It is different right now because you now we got new players and stuff like that. And like last game, now we talked about the last game. And he told me he didn't run stuff for me because Kemba had a good night and Dwight was rolling. So he wanted me really to give the ball inside to Dwight and increase space for, for Kemba. So I'm like, okay. If you want me, if you think that's a good plan and, and we win, okay. But we, we, don't, we don't win. I mean, I just want to stay involved in on offense. I know we got different players, it's different. But I want to stay involved because, like tonight, when I'm involved, I mean, we running. I'm trying to run the offense like better, create more space for Kemba and create more movement. That's why they brought me here. So there's really a lot in that chunk of audio uh, to talk about. Uh, that I think we could talk about the fact that he's saying that there are different players here and, and it's different, and he sort of elaborated on that in, in other comments. Nick, you wrote about this for LockedOnHornets.com. Uh, but the, the overall theme is that Nick Batum unhappy – or, or not satisfied may be the better term for his role or in his role in this offense. Uh, David, first, your your thoughts on these comments. Frustration from all around, it sounds like to me. I mean, Batum, maybe, you know, going back to the Clifford-Silas thing, it's, <laughs> I think it's maybe it's good timing that Clifford's coming back now. I mean, Silas, it's only realistic to think that he could carry this thing so far. But just for Batum, I think he's clearly frustrated um, maybe they have some differing views on how he should best be used. But, you know, it's hard to argue uh, for Nick Batum at this point just because the production has not been there. And regardless of mm-hmm. what the reasoning is, I mean, I still think he's certainly hurt. But, you know, people don't really have time for that right now. And, and the coaches are trying to figure out a way to keep him involved and keep him playing because the solution is not going to be benching him, I don't think. I mean, that's what people have screamed for, but I don't think that's going to happen. Um, so they've got to have him out there. And Silas is trying to figure out a way to keep him involved and keep him going. Batum clearly wants to be involved, which he has to be. But it's 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 maddening when you're like you're not being aggressive enough to be involved. At least that's what it looks like. Well, and again, the team is 23rd in in offensive rating, uh, 23rd in three point field goal percentage and three point attempts. They're 26th in offense according to Synergy. So something is not working. And I think you're right. There is frustration. And early on in, in the in the offseason, there was a lot of talk from both Dwight and Nick about the excitement of those two working together to find pick-and-roll opportunities and find good offensive opportunities for Dwight Howard at the basket. But that simply hasn't happened. And, and I think part of that is rooted in in the injury in the preseason where they didn't have – as good of an opportunity as they probably needed to get that rhythm going. And, and you saw Dwight Howard uh, become such a focal point of the offense without Nick Batum in the in the lineup, and, and they haven't been able to necessarily uh, turn back the clock and try to get those three all on the same page at the same time. And, and the uh, people in the chat mentioning that, uh, that, uh, you know, he was – wanting to get the ball into Dwight in the in the offseason. Those were the comments. And now he's talking about creating more space for Kemba. Um, but one of the other interesting comments that, that you didn't hear there is he said, look, when I'm on the floor, 
I'm always on the floor with Kemba and Dwight. And both of those players are taking up – he didn't say this, but I'm saying this. Both of those players are taking up a lot of usage, and you've seen his usage dip. It was 21.5 his first season, 22 his second season, and 17 this season. And you you know you have a franchise that paid him a lot of money, and now he's basically been uh, now he's basically a third option. And sometimes if MKG has it going offensively, he's a fourth option. And look at the shots too, Doug. I mean, they look like they did when he was in Portland when he was the true third option behind guys like Lillard and and um, is McCollum out there. But he, anyway, he was the he was the third option at that time, and that's what he's he's sunken back into now because he's averaging about three shots fewer than he has in Charlotte this year. Okay, we're knocking on the door of what's going on here because you just mentioned it, Portland. His role in Portland, he was he was sinking back to a third and fourth option. And when he came to Charlotte, there was this promise that he would be, I think, the, the, the oh. second best player to, to Kimba Walker on this team. Or the well, that's, se- what, that's what they paid him. I mean, that's, yeah, that's what he was brought here for. And so you can see the, the difficulty that the, the, the Hornets are dealing with trying to balance, I think, these three players on this starting unit, both in terms of who the play is being run through, run to, and how do you best create space for Marvin Williams, for Nick Batum to get a decent shot, for Kimba Walker to get a decent shot. These are all issues that they've yet to figure out on the offensive end, and it's causing frustration from uh, Nick Batum, and I'm certain others, they just aren't speaking out about it. I think he's got a point in terms of the ball movement. I mean, I think we've noticed when they're moving the ball, things just seem to click a little bit better. More people are, are getting you know, good shots. You know, There just seems to be more confidence more aggression when they when they're moving it like that um it's you know i, I don't want to i don't want to act like i'm being critical here because i like i'm still like but when when things kind of get to dwight and and things kind of stick with dwight that's where things slow down a bit and it's almost it, it is in ways kind of reminiscent of when we had al jefferson but the difference then was he was kind of the guy they had to lean on. Well, the difference the difference is Nick. Well, the difference is that he was a good post player, and Dwight. Yeah. I mean, I'm just be like if you look at the numbers, Dwight's yeah. post. It's he's getting catches uh, too far from the basket, and and the post looks just aren't dropping, and right. and that could be a source of of frustration within the offense as well. I'm surprised when I release these comments. I'm surprised that. Um, that a bigger that it wasn't a bigger deal because you just don't see this in the Hornets locker room. You don't see players uh, speaking out about frustrations with with the game plan very often, uh, which I think again could signal that there is something uh, larger here going on uh, mm-hmm. in, in terms of of the frustration of Nick Batum and the frustration of this offense in, in general because the offense just has not been good enough for the Charlotte Hornets to win basketball games. They've got you heard Steve Clifford earlier. They've got to get it from 23rd in the league to somewhere closer to 15 to 12. And that's that's a pretty significant jump. Yeah. And, and and the question is, will that to get that significant jump, do you need to make significant changes to the lineup, to the game plan? I mean, what's what what has to happen to make that uh to make that leap? And I think, I mean, especially when he mentions like having new players, when you're really kind of 
calling out Dwight Howard, then you know you're in a certain level of frustration. And I think that we talked about this when we first acquired Dwight, that, he, you know, has he been kind of a scapegoat for other teams' problems in the past? Or is it really more, you know, his fault than maybe what people are willing to talk about? But, I mean, at the same time, I mean, right now, like to have someone calling him out that directly, yeah, there's obviously a level of frustration there that – is is not going to go away overnight and hopefully Steve uh or yeah Steve Clipper when he comes back he can kind of try and right the ship but at the same time at the beginning of the year we were running so many more pick and roll plays with Dwight Howard than we are now and I don't understand why that stopped the timing wasn't great at the beginning of the season but that's also something you have to kind of build up I, I can I can offer a theory Okay. And my, my theory is this, because I asked uh, I asked Coach Silas before the game against Oklahoma City Thunder, like he, he likes to talk about variety of offense. And I said, why is variety of offense important? Well, it's important because, you know, you want to have a lot of different looks and, and different things to throw the defense off. And then I said, uh, what are the challenges of creating a variety of offense? And he mentioned, you know, Kimball Walker is so good in the pick and roll that it's it's hard not to go to that over and over. And, and I look at this offense, and I see that they're 28th, 29th in half-court offense, and they're third in the league in transition offense. Their transition game has been really the only thing that has kept this offense from being uh, 29th in the league instead of 23rd in the league, right? It's completely bottoming out because their half-court offense is, isn't very good for a variety of reasons. And, and I think that's why it's difficult not to go to Kimball Walker over and over in the pick-and-roll and because that's a that's one of your probably more efficient plays that you've got in your quiver, and and when that starts to happen, you know you're you're involving Kimball Walker, you're involving Dwight Howard, you're not in, you're not necessarily involving Nick Batum, and what you're also not getting to is a Nick Batum Dwight Howard pick and roll. Uh, so and yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, that's what I'm kind of alluding to. Like later on in these comments, he talks about trying to get the spacing right and get the spacing down. Well, one of the ways you can do that is through pick and rolls. One of the one of the best ways you can do that is through pick and rolls. So, I mean, why are we not running? I mean, yeah, the transition office has been nice and Kemba's been very efficient. But at the same time, if you really want, you know, when you get to your half court set, you know, if you, if you want to create spacing and position and whatnot, why aren't you running more pick and roll plays? And, and using Dwight Howard and using those shoulders of his and in order to try and help free Kemba loose or, you know, get Nick an open shot. You know, it's, I, I just. Yeah. That, well, that speaks to the larger problem. Clarence, he's just not shooting the ball well at all right now. When he gets up I mean, career lows with three point percentage under 30%. And I really do think you have to go back and look at that. Last season in Portland, Doug, you alluded to, he played 71 games, but he was hurt that whole year. And that's why the Hornets were really able to get him. And that just speaks to, I think, his willingness to play through some pain, which I I clearly think he's doing now. And I understand that fans are super frustrated because they look at the salary and then they look at the production and it's way off. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I just think you have to believe he's still hurt. He's trying to play through this. But it's frustrating. I know it's frustrating for him. It's super frustrating for the fans because he is a key cog. He was brought here to be second fiddle to Kemba. He's getting paid like a first guy. Um, So, like, the Hornets tried to work that thing out. I mean, they took the gamble where they could 
to get a guy that they thought could step up and be the number two. And it just has not worked out. Um, he's not playing up to his capabilities. I don't think that he's this bad a player, but I don't think it's going to get a lot better this season if he's dealing with these injuries the whole way through. Yeah, has to knock down his shot. But the the answer, I see this a lot in the in the chat, and, and I see this a lot on Twitter, and I, I understand where this thought comes from because you mm-hmm. see a player playing poorly and you think – Okay, well, we'll send him down to the second unit if he's playing poorly and bring up somebody who's playing well. Um, but to me, benching Batum is like a non-starter. I mean, you, he's, you paid him to be one of the better players on your team and to start, and you need that to happen to be successful. That's just it. Like You need him to play at a – you need to find a way to get him to play at a level – Right, and it's it's both, right? It's both. He needs to because I I, I agree with both uh, your stance, David, that he needs to shoot the ball better, and I think that the coaching staff has to find a way uh, to get him in a groove early on, and mm-hmm. uh, and and get him in a place where he can be successful throughout the game and moving the basketball for this yeah, team think- to have the success. They just they can't have Nick Batum. Uh, playing this way and expect to be successful offensively and sitting to the, to the bench is not the answer. They've got a good thing going with Jeremy Lamb and Frank Kaminsky right now. It's like one of the one of the few things that is going right for their offense uh, on a consistent basis now. You're seeing Jeremy Lamb and Kaminsky scoring in double figures night after night. Uh, that that second unit doesn't have much offense that's very that's that's scary to really any team outside of that. So if you start to tinker with that, then all of a sudden you know, some other problems start to crop up. So I, I don't know if that's the answer either. Well, exactly. And I don't think it's unfair to demand better play out of Nick Batum. And that's not where I'm not trying to excuse him by saying that, like, hey, maybe we should be running some more pick no. and roll plays. I'm just trying to say that, like, if if the offense is, I mean, whenever we run our half court set, if, if Kemba's not in a groove, the offense is completely stagnant. And there are ways to try and – yeah, you're right. Get maybe Nick Batum in a, in a groove earlier or or try and at least make the defense move around a little bit. That's one of the reasons. That's how we beat Golden State is with our ball movement and passing and whatnot. I mean, we didn't – and being aggressive. Well, Nick well. Batum, that's the thing. Yeah, Nick Batum would yeah. agree with you on that. And and he, and he he's been, uh, you know, fighting for, for more, more ball movement. And I think what his, what his thought process is is if the ball goes through him – then that ball movement can happen. I don't think we're really talking about necessarily more shots for Nick Batum. I think there's a difference between the offense running through him and the offense running to him, you know, getting more shots for Nick Batum. I don't think that's what it's about because, look, they've tried, you know, they tried getting him some more post looks and that didn't really work. Uh, you know, he's, he's struggling with his shot. That really hasn't worked. But it's mm-hmm. more about the, the ball moving to him so that he can create for other. I think he would per- be perfectly happy with you know a slight if if his shot was going a little better, slight uptick in points, maybe to twelve or thirteen, but mm-hmm. getting better looks for this offense in general, I think is is what he's asking for more so than than more shots because you know he's getting eight, nine, ten shots a game. That's probably good enough, but the offense still isn't moving like like it needs to. So. Yeah, I think they're they're starting to get there, though. I mean, you saw it in Utah. You saw it against Oklahoma City. They're they're continuing to talk about it. Silas said it was a partnership. So, well, I think the interesting thing is once Clifford returns, you know, is there is there going to be again some more adjustments 
uh, some more figuring this thing out on offense because it absolutely has to improve if the Hornets want to get better. I want to move on real quick thoughts on today's game against the Detroit Pistons. Very early start, afternoon start for the Hornets and Pistons. Uh, guys, what do you think? Uh, let's start with David. David, what are the keys to the game to beating the Pistons this afternoon? Two guys I'm watching for from the Pistons standpoint is to, one is Tobias Harris. He always kills the Hornets. Um, seems like every time he goes out there and gives them fits, he did it in the opening game this year. They just have a tough time with him. In general, I have a tough time with these scoring wings who are bigger uh, than some of the Hornets defenders. So that's a key guy. But also the Drummond-Dwight Howard matchup has always fascinated me. You look at these stats for these two guys, they're almost mirror images of each other. Dwight averages a few more points. Uh, Drummond grabs a few more boards. But, man, their stats line right up with each other. And it's, it's crazy to think about that because Dwight is like eight years older than Drummond. So he's still putting up those young center numbers. Uh, so those are the two guys I'm looking to see. Also, Doug, the early tip. The Hornets as a team. They don't do well. And they don't like these early tips, and they're not at home. They are in Detroit. Uh, but look, maybe some of which this is road- it? Which let's hold on. Let's stop there. <laughs> let's stop there because I know you want to go on your rant here, Doug. But this is a real thing. Players get used to the timing of these tips. But their David, body. but David, Waking there are two up. basketball teams on the floor. Well, I'm not. It's saying. the same. It's the same basketball. It's the same hoop. It's the same floor. Like it's, yep. it's, this is not a they're not in a different reality. They are not on Earth two. This is still Nick. Earth one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. This is <laughs> this is a Doug Ranson special. Yeah, I mean, look, it, there's. I mean, you're right, but that doesn't excuse the fact that, that we've seen this for years that they just yeah. don't play well in these in these afternoon tests. So I, maybe well, it's understandable, but I get. But but I, but I think we we tend to. We tend to just accept these things, right? We we accept that they're not good at early tips. We accept that they're not good in close games. You know, thirteen losses in a row. So, you no, know, but it, it could be honestly because you know Clippers been here since year five, right? This is his staff mm-hmm. year for five. Yeah, um, maybe it's something in the way they prepare. Um, I'll give you an example. You know, just bear with me here. Um, those fans of the Premier League, right? There's a little team called Huddersfield Town. Their head coach does this thing where whatever time the game starts, because there's much, very, a lot of varying times there, he will train that whole week at the same time to have them get acclimated to what you know to the, the schedule and what time. So if it's an early, it's an early game. If it's a late game, he has them train at that time. I mean, it's just a little nuanced thing that he does. But you know, when you're a little team like Huddersfield and you have no chance against these big teams, you got to do find every advantage you can. So I don't know, you know, the Hornets need to start practicing at 1230 every day for these games. Obviously it's a little different, but it could be, it just could be something that comes down to just how they are preparing for these games. They use the same, they use the same nets. They use the same oxygen to fill the basketballs. Hoosiers. You out there measuring the, uh... they use everything's (laughs) the same. It's only the time that's different. And again, we only make this excuse for the Hornets if they win the game, we don't say, well, the Pistons, that early tip got them. It's not an well, excuse. They might be. It, is, it could be a factor. I don't, think it was, I don't think Dave was trying to excuse it. I think he was just making Thank an you, observation. Claire. He just wanted no, – just by making – again, by making the observation, we make the excuse. <laughs> yeah. By accepting that that is the reality, we make the excuse. All right, Claire, your thoughts, keys to the game against the Pistons. 
Yeah, I mean, Tobias Harris is going to have to be shut down. I mean, we got to we got to do something about those big shooting guards. I agree with David. Also, rebounds. Going back to the OKC game, that's absolutely what killed us um, during that game. So we really have to keep Andre Drummond, who is the leading rebounder in the NBA, off the boards because if you were able to keep him off the boards as a team, Pistons are I think 19 in overall rebounds in the league, and so as a team, they're not great. But I mean, you really you got to focus on on keeping Andre Drummond off the boards, and especially limiting those second chance. This is an interesting game because the Pistons are the team that the Hornets wish they were. Kind of, yeah. Instead, the Hornets are the team that the Pistons were last season. Just like severely underperforming expectations. ESPN, all these rankings had the Pistons doing well last season. They, they They were poop. And mm-hmm. same thing this year. The Hornets had or the ESPN had the Hornets at at fifth in the in the East, and this season they've been poop. Yep. So control the rebounds. That's my that's my analysis. Enjoy that. Uh, Twelve. Uh, what's the tip? Twelve thirty on NBA TV. Not a national TV game, unfortunately. But uh, well, it is if you have a TV and NBA, TV, which everyone does. So it means it's national. Hey, one other thing, Doug. Uh, you mentioned the bench a little bit. That was one of my big keys from the. OKC game. I mean, Jeremy Lamb and Frank Kaminsky only combined for 11 points in that game after 25 uh, mm. in the uh, game. So, I mean, that's one of those consistency things that that we've been preaching and that you've been calling for. They've got to play well. They've well, got to provide 25 points a game for the Hornets to win. I, I agree with that, yes. But I will say that in that Oklahoma City game, uh, they were playing they, – they were really mixing in two starters where they've been normally going to that full bench unit where if they're with that full bench unit, it's going to be Frank – and Jeremy exclusively offensively. It seemed like when they had two starters, they were going more towards Dwight, or if they had Marvin in there, the offense was running through Marvin. It was just more starters taking a lot of attempts um, than than Frank and Jeremy. But I agree, you have to have to get, get those guys going uh, in in that second unit for them to be successful. And then MCW, if he can continue, he's, it seems like he's slowly building back up his confidence. You saw him uh, hit that buzzer beater three. Uh, to give them the lead going into the fourth quarter, but then it's all about closing that game out. They've got to close the game out, especially on the defensive end for that second unit. They've got to depend at the beginning of that fourth quarter if the game is close, which all of these games have been close. That's been frustrating too. The Hornets cannot really develop a double-digit lead. They've had to play so many close games this season, and you know they haven't been able to really uh, you know, get that lead and then sort of coast into the fourth quarter. They've had to fight, fight, fight. And you could tell it drained their energy at the end of that game against Oklahoma City. So it won't get any easier. The Pistons, tough defensive team. They don't make a lot of mistakes. And, uh, you know, when they're shooting their three-point shot well, it's really tough to beat this team. When they're not, it's a little easier. We've seen that. We've seen the Pistons be up and down this season, too. So uh, the Hornets take them on again this afternoon. We'll be uh, uh, tweeting it on at Locked On Hornets on Twitter. And to close this show out, it is Martin Luther King Jr. Day today to honor Dr. King and his legacy. I'd encourage everyone out there to try and help someone today if you can. Be kind, be just, speak out for someone or some cause that needs a voice, whatever that cause may be. Whether it is basketball, government, business, or life, it is always the small collective actions of many that make big things happen. Thank you to everyone who listens to this show, who watches this show, who supports this show. This has been Locked On Hornets here on the Locked On Podcast Network. 
Follow us on Twitter at Locked On Hornets. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you get your podcast. Just search Locked On Hornets. Shoot us your Hornets questions and thoughts to buzzbuzz at LockedOnHornets.com. We're back again tomorrow with a recap of this game against the Detroit Pistons and more. For David and Nick and Claire, I'm Doug. Go Hornets. Go America. Let's swarm Charlotte.